This is episode number 359 with Jeff Rader and Andy Katz Mayfield of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth Godin, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Barbara Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hey, Founder Fam, Nathan here. Welcome back to another episode. So if you have an e-commerce business or you have a model that's working really, really well for products or services and you want to replicate that, then you're going to love this interview with the founders of Harry's. So they started Harry's Razors or... A long time ago, probably about six, seven years ago, I first heard of them. I heard about them on the Tim Ferriss blog. And uh, they've kind of taken this direct-to-consumer model that they have and they've created other brands now under their umbrella like Cat Food, their brand Cat Food. Uh, it's called Cat Person. They've got a women's beauty product line called Flamingo and they've got hair care products called Headquarters. And... Um, they really talk and break down how they've scaled out this model and how they approach direct-to-consumer. So if you have an e-commerce brand or if you have a proven model and you want to take that into other industries with your product or service, this is a really, really cool podcast. And these guys, like, they're a massive business. They have over a thousand plus employees. All of these are multi-million dollar brands. So like you're going to get a really good blueprint for how they think about scale, growth, and growing direct consumer e-commerce brands. So if you guys are enjoying these episodes, please, please, please share this with a friend, multiple friends or family member. Um, and also please leave us a review wherever you're listening. All right, that's it from me. Now jump in the show. The first question I ask everyone that comes on is, uh, how did you get your job? Okay, how did you find yourself doing the work you're doing today? I was saying to Andy that I first heard of you guys on the Tim Ferriss blog around you released the code for the viral loop. Um, I don't know who wants to take this. It's sometimes tricky with like two people interviewing, but yeah, we, yeah. You, how did you guys start? Well, I guess we hired each other, so that, that's how we got the job, but we... Um... Yeah, the 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 idea for Harry's uh, 
an inspiration for it came in a drugstore one day when I had gone to buy replacement razor blades and just had a really frustrating purchase experience. So, you know, the products were um, locked away and I had to go find an associate to come unlock the case. And it's kind of crazy. It was like late at night and trying to find somebody. And the reason they're locked away is because they're so expensive. And the reason they're so expensive, you know, or they get stolen all the time. And the reason they get stolen all the time is because they're so expensive. So it was just like, overpriced, overdesigned, you know, products, not a great experience, didn't speak to me. And Jeff and I had known each other forever, almost 20 years at this point. We were like college interns together and then worked together professionally um, out of undergrad. And and um, he can obviously tell you about his journey, but he had helped to found uh, a business called Warby Parker, um, which um, was sort of born out of a similar frustration of overpaying for prescription eyewear. And, uh, there was a lot of parallels there. So I called him up and, and talked about the experience that I had and he empathized and that was the beginning of the journey. And so really, you know, at the end of the day, we were trying to create a product, a brand, a, an overall experience that was solving a pain point that we both had as consumers. And so, um, I'd love to hear your take, Jeff, like, um, what did it look like first day when you guys launched? How long did it take? How, like, first of all, how long did it take to get the first version of the product ready? Man, it probably took us from the time that Andy called me to launch, like it took us about 18 months. Yeah. Um, and the most complicated thing we had to do in that interim time was um, to figure out how to make yeah, an amazing product, um, like, you know, really, really great razors and razor blades. Um, and we didn't know anything about it at the time. And so the first thing we did was we went to the, the store and we bought all the razors we could we started shaving with them, you know, one side of our face with one and the other side of face with the other. And we realized there's a pretty big difference between like a, a good and a bad product. Um, and, you know, shaving with a bad razor can be like a physically and emotionally scarring experience. And so we, we wanted to make sure that we could make an awesome product. And so that we ended up doing a ton of research on like how razor blades are made, where they're made, who makes them, what makes a good razor blade. And um, we ended up finding this factory in Germany um, that makes some of the best blades in the world. And um, and they, they've been around at that time for about 90 years. Now they're close to hundred years old. And we just called them up one day and said, Hey, we have this idea to build, you know, a brand in men's shave um, and then personal care. And we will, well beyond that, you know, would, would you be interested in working with us? And thankfully we found the right person there and they said, yeah, you know, come to Germany and why don't we have a conversation? And so Andy and I flew to Germany, um, uh, you know, drove the, the factories about two and a half hours from Frankfurt. So we, flew into Frankfurt and then drove two and a half hours into the, into the, the German, um, countryside and, you know, met with this factory who, uh, and the folks around this factory who, you know, literally had been grinding precision steel into blades for, you know, decades and were so impressed with what they did. And then said, Hey, I think we could build a partnership with them to make our products. Um, and that was a huge opportunity and unlock for us and like a really, exciting way. Um, and that, that's what kind of started, get, got us started. Um, you know, we had the idea to build a brand that would speak to consumers in a different way. And we had a really high quality product. And then since then we've ended up buying the factory. So we, when we launched, they were our exclusive supplier and we said, you know, it's, it's so important to make such high quality products. And we have ideas for how we can innovate and improve that, um, that we ended up, uh, actually buying the factory. And, and now, um, you know, we have 500 people on our team in Germany, um, who, who make razor blades every day that, you know, we hope give people an awesome experience. Yeah, that's crazy. 
So just on that factory piece, does that mean now the, the factory only works for you guys exclusively or you're still yeah. like, it's a, it's a, yeah. 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 I mean, when we bought, when we bought the factory, they had some, they were um, supplying to us and some, some other um, retailers in Europe. Um, and we're kind of working with, with some other folks and we didn't, you know, they had existing customers who wanted to be respectful of those relationships. So we enabled them to sort of keep the ones that they thought were most important. And then, you know, but, but we've invested a tremendous amount in um, building, you know, innovating on product for, for the Harry's brand um, and, and making, I think just, you know, improvements in, in the way that um, we manufacture in general, which impacts everybody in a positive way. And so um, um, Harry's, I think has certainly become the focus. I think I would be foolish not to make the theme and focus of this interview around how you guys scale brands. So for context, everyone listening, um, you guys have multiple brands. So you've got four successful brands, uh, not just Harry's, but Flamingo, Cat Person, and Headquarters. And you've got multiple channels, multiple geographies, and you have over a thousand employees. I- each of these brands, it's safe to say that they're, they're multi-million dollar brands, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So I think, and you guys have done this in the space of eight years. Usually the success that someone like, like founders have achieved with growth would be usually just one brand, but you've done it with multiple brands. So I'd love to know, first of all, to set the scene, why did you guys to start, like decide to start creating multiple brands? Yeah. Well, you know, we, we obviously started off to build Harry's um, and uh, Harry's was focused on, on shaving to start, but we always had a vision that it would become a men's personal care grooming brand. And now, you know, that brand spans multiple categories. So we've got, you know, we're in hair care, we're in an antiperspirant deodorant and body wash and bar soap and, and are, um, have sort of a broad offering across, um, a bunch of categories. And I would, it was probably back in 2016 or 2017 where, we had built all these capabilities to support the Harry's brand around direct to consumer, around retail and, and the mix between retail and direct to consumer and omnichannel, um, and a bunch of capabilities just around sort of modern design and brand building. And at the same time, we were looking at a bunch of different categories across consumer packaged goods and looking at, um, you know, really a bunch of unmet consumer need across these categories and, and brands, you know, being built to, to fill those needs and and better sort of meet consumers, um, where they were and felt like we had a set of capabilities that would leverage not just Harry's brand, but for a family of brands. Um, and whether we build those brands, whether we buy those brands, you know, and, and to your point, scaling is hard, you know, you can launch a brand, you can get it to a few million of revenue, um, maybe more easily than, than ever in history, but, but taking that to, you know, 50 million, hundred million, 200 million of revenue and really scaling across channels, across geographies is, is a really difficult thing to do. And so, um, we got really excited about the vision of building out a family of disruptive omni-channel CPG brands. And, um, we, you know, raised some capital against that vision. We created this organization within Harry's called Harry's Labs, um, that is focused on both incubation and M and A, and um, yeah, started to look for where there might be unmet need and where there might be opportunity. And and as opposed to like 
you know, drawing maps of the market and saying like, how big is this category and how, how fast is it growing and how competitive is it? And of course we look at sort of some of those business dynamics and fundamentals. I think for us, a lot of these ideas and inspirations, whether it be Flamingo or Cat Person or headquarters came from fundamentally this, the same place that Harry's came from, which is like, you know, where is there a consumer need that's just not being adequately met in the market where we can build a proposition across sort of and value um, that better resonates with consumers and using direct to consumer as a channel and go to market approach that really enables us to test and learn to develop much more personal relationships and kind of iterate into thing that hopefully better meets that need. So that's kind of the model that's been underlying the success across all those brands. I think the other thing I'd add is like, it's really fun. Like, it's been fun for us personally to get to think about new brands and new categories and new customers, and new products. And like, we like building things, I think as founders and as a company. And um, it's cool to get to do that. And, you know, I think over time we'd hope to buy a brand or two and get to work with amazing founders and get inspired by them and help them in their journey. And that sounds super fun. So I, I think that that's also part of it for us. Yeah, look, no doubt about it, it is fun creating new products, new businesses, and new brands. But I think the biggest challenge that companies face when you do have traction is you have this idea, oh, we'll just, we'll just add this or we'll just bolt this on. And oftentimes, I think companies aren't operationally set up to add like another element or a whole other business within a business. So I, I, And so what you guys have done in such a a relatively short period of time in eight years, I'd love to know, like, what, what do you think has been unique there? Are you guys like next level at operations, systems, processes, identifying these patterns, and then it's easy to, you know, bolt on the next brand? Or like, I'd love to go a bit deeper there. I think as a company and have a lot of people who are really empathetic to who customers are and what they want and need. And I think are like, really focus on those people. Like if you think about who we serve, it's like, like, you know, we serve you every day. I'm like, what do you want? How can we make your life better? And so I think like we've got people who ask that question a lot and think about that problem a lot. And if we can do that in an amazing way, serve you like really uniquely and like, man, I think then then we can, you know, have brands that will resonate with you. So that's probably number one. And then I think number two, you know, I think we have people who are like willing to take risk and take bets and like rethink the way that normal things are done and, and a culture that encourages that, I hope, so that people feel like, hey, I can like, you know, I can do something different. I can, I can make a razor in four different colors that isn't, you know, maybe doesn't look like it was, you know, futuristic or something. It just looks, you know, it's super cleanly designed or I can make cat food and make it only proteins when cats want to tune of that protein of a chicken or a, you know, a duck on the package, as opposed to, you know, some other marketing claims or making me feel like I'm buying this in the wilderness. Like there's just, there's just different ways. I think that you can appeal to people in an exciting and imaginative way. And then I think we've got, we, where we've probably built infrastructure most is in the, in the ways that we reach people online. And I think they're, being able to have a direct to consumer experience where we get to know you super well and know what you want and need and learn about you is amazing. Cause you know, as 
as thoughtful as we try to be and as inspired as we want to be with all everything that we do, like it's only as good as the experience you have. And what's cool about direct to consumers, we can be like, Hey, we did this thing. We tried to make it great. What do you think? And like, you're like, Hey, these three things are awesome. But these other two things, like I would want this is like, okay, cool. Well, like if a hundred or 200 or a thousand other people want these other two things, like we're going to go create them for you. You know, for an example, this is a, this is all going to steal Andy's story and he can add to it. But, you know, we remember early on at Harry's, we, um, our, when our razor connected to our blade, it didn't click. Like, you know, we wanted there to, it, it didn't click. It just kind of slid in and stayed. It was fine. And one of our customers was like, I want there to be an audible click. When I click this and I want to click it in, I want to know that it's on there. And I actually took it, took this razor to my garage and I figured out a way to make it change the connector so that it would click in. And like he called our six team and he's like, and our six team was like, this is interesting. And Andy actually called him and was like, can I talk to you about this? Like, what did you do? How did you think about it? And the guy sent us his prototype and we took it and we used it as an inspiration for figuring out how to create a click, which he and a bunch of other people wanted. And all of a sudden, like his experience got better. Now we thought we did a lot of cool stuff in Aries, but we didn't make a click. And he was the one who told us, Hey, you've got to do that. And so that's where DTC is so fun is that we learn and we get to create experiences that are like better for people. And like, ultimately, if you do that enough and enough, like we think that that's a really exciting path to, to growth and, um, and success, I guess. Mm. I'd love to hear your take, Andy. Uh, that all resonates with me. I think we're also pretty deliberate in, in, the, in the way that we, um, you know, sort of add on or, or drive growth. And, you know, the Harry's brand is probably a good example where, you know, we probably in the earlier days of Harry's, once we were having a lot of success in shave, we could have just taken our brand and slapped it on a bunch of stuff and just said, great, like, you know, let's launch shampoo and, you know, deodorant and soap and whatever, just give us something off the shelf and we'll put our brand on and we'll sell. But, you know, I, we don't really believe that that type of an approach leads to sustainable success. And so even in each category outside of shave, you know, we took a lot of time to try to really understand what is the pain point in that category. Can we actually deliver on that better than whatever the status quo is? And the mission of our company is create things like or which, you know, sounds very simple, but in some ways it's really helpful in that regard. Can you, can you just do something better? If you can't, you probably shouldn't do it. And so, you know, sometimes that's a, a better scent. Sometimes that is a, you know, more intuitive packaging, something that's like better value. So, you know, it's going to vary category by category, but I think some of our ability to sort of have the same success is, is a result of that deliberateness and this idea that, you know, brands really get built over a long period of time. It's, you know, it, it's not like software. It doesn't just scale overnight. So I think that's, that's been helpful for us too, um, along the way. Yeah. I'm really curious as well. Like, Talk me through the signals that you guys look for where you you believe there might be something in a market that you you, you guys would look to enter. Like, what does that look like? Because I think a lot of people watching this right now, they would be inspired by like, wow, you guys have created four successful brands, and you you know this this you're probably not going to stick at four. Like, there'll be more over time. And you're building a big portfolio. What signals do you look like, and what does that go to market strategy look like? I think. I think for us, it starts with like, I think what Andy said is like, is there an unmet consumer need? Uh, or maybe 
the opportunity to create in some way, like a positive experience for someone that doesn't exist. Like, and if there's not, then like, there's no reason if there's no way, if everyone is perfectly satisfied with the products that they're using and there's no way to make it better for them, like there's no reason for a new, a new thing to exist. Like we, we wouldn't want it but to do it. Like we'd want to do it because there's a really big unmet need. And when there is an unmet need, it's so obvious. It's like, it's like almost blatant. Like, so for example, the reason that we ended up starting cat person, which is our brand in the, in the pet space was because one, a guy on our team loves cats, fosters cats. And he's like, Hey, like I, there's a huge need for me as a, as a cat parent, because, you know, I think I, I've done a run to research on my cats. I know that obviously carnivore, they like to eat meat. And I go to the store and all I see in like, you know, cat food is like grain and vegetables, a bunch of other stuff that's like not good for my cats. Like, so I'm like actually stopped buying regular cat food and I'm now buying a bunch of the raw ingredients and cooking for my cats. And like, I'm a pretty easy guy. Like this isn't, you know, I don't have time to do that or it's taking up a lot of my free time. I would love a brand that was for me, that would give me really high quality food that I was really transparent about what was in my food. Um, and you know, um, that I would trust. And like, and if, if there was a brand that existed like that, that was, that, you know, gave my carnivore cats, like a high protein diet that I trust, I would want that. And we're like, you know, we've got a lot of other people who feel the same way. And so that was the impetus for cat person. Um, and, and it was like, you kind of talk to him and you hear his story and it like, it just becomes obvious that there's, there's an opportunity for someone to do it better. And then the work that we obviously do is like, okay, he feels that way you know, how many other people feel that way? And then can we reasonably from a, a cost and sort of product delivery perspective and brand perspective, like give him and all these other people a thing that they will actually like more. And once we get conviction in that, then it's like, it's pretty easy and straightforward. And so, you know, someone was told me, you want to start a company, just think about all the things that bother you all day long. And like, you know, and then think about how you might fix them. And I actually think that that's not terrible. I think that's really good advice. And so we think about that in like the consumer world, you know, we think about all the stuff that people use every day and what what's frustrating for them or where you can create something better for them. You know, for within, within headquarters, this hair care brand that we started, we, um, we heard from women that like what they really wanted was healthy hair and lots of the other brands out there were kind of feeling superficial to them. Like they were, they were trying to embellish hair and, and add beauty to it in some ways, as opposed to just having hair be healthy and natural. And when we actually tried to understand, okay, well, what makes healthy natural hair, what makes healthy natural hair is having a really sort of healthy scalp. Um, and you know, the scalp on your, the skin on your scalp is just like the skin on your face. Like, you know, it's skincare. And so, um, how can we help you have a healthy scalp and healthy roots? And if you do that, then you're going to have a really healthy hair. And so we created products that did that as opposed to, you know, other products that didn't really treat kind of the the root cause of, of healthy hair. And so we, we think about sort of things like that, that just feel like opportunities to do something better for someone because we, as we get to know them, we, we learn about the, the, the chances and the places to go do that. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success. 
you should come and check out our new podcast from Zero to Founder. Hosted by our community manager, Molly Flynn, these are in-the-trenches stories from our very own successful students that have gone through some of our programs. People just like you who are deep within the process of building their very own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow. You can find the From Zero to Founder podcast on all platforms. And remember, it's founder without the E. All right, now let's jump in the show. So I'm curious, like with these ideas, because you guys must have tons, right? Do you do you score them? Do you run ads? Or like, uh, and do you do you um, have prototypes? Like, what does that what does that validation go to market look like? Well, as Jeff said, you know, we sort of start with that with really that consumer lens and do a bunch of consumer research, um, and you know, that's like a lot of insights work, focus group surveys, etc. It's a kind of refine and validate hypotheses and then you know from there there is some testing that we'll do like you know we can we can sort of whip up a a dummy brand um reasonably quickly that kind of you know isn't necessarily all that thoughtful from a um you know design um you know and 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 the way you want to put thought and care into like (laughs) the final brand but you know can do a reasonably good job in a short period of time to test different territories and yeah, we'll actually put that in front of consumers. Um, we can run, um, different types of tests online and buy advertising and see, you know, what conversion rates look like. So there's a bunch of sort of testing and learning we'll do to really refine like the brand itself and the territory and the target consumer. Um, and then ultimately like who who we want to be speaking to before actually, you know, kind of trying to develop like the real brand. And of course, like, you know, we're, we'll, we'll, we'll build a business case and all of that, um, you know, kind of prudent business stuff as well. And to make sure that we can actually, you know, deliver product at a reasonable cost and that we've got, um, you know, product and formulations that work and, and all of that stuff. But I would say the vast majority of our testing and learning up front is really consumer oriented, whether that's purely insights or whether that's getting consumers to, to react to brand messaging or or even product itself, you know, sense and those types of things. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. This is fascinating. So you guys go relatively deep. Like th- this is this is like so. I think sometimes when people see the finished product, they might have thought, "Oh, you guys just came up with this idea and then you started f- building the product and then you go launch." Right? Yeah, that's not really the case. Um, and I and I think it's you know that when I was sort of talking earlier about deliberateness it's 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 really that it's trying to be really clear um and um about you know the problem that we're solving how the brand's going to help solve that problem how the product is going to help solve that problem packaging design the value proposition all of those things to really try to ensure that at the end of the day whatever you create is sort of meeting the spec and even the harry's brand which was perhaps the most you know we didn't have like a super well-oiled process and how to do that you know we took a lot of time and it was just that you know i was a little different it was me and jeff in a room but really trying to sort of like i remember literally sitting with a bunch of magazines and like cutting out images of you know things that we liked and didn't like this is dating ourselves obviously since i'm talking about paper magazines but um you know and 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 trying to be really thoughtful about what we wanted the brand to stand for and and the type of imagery we liked um yeah it definitely wasn't just sort of like throw something out there and 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 see what sticks and I think the difference between brand building and like the MVP model of technology, you know, there's a, there's a whole sort of model in technology that, that works really well in a bunch of cases where, 
you put out an MVP, you get a bunch of users to try it. You test, iterate, optimize, test, iterate, optimize. It's like, we kind of believe you only have one chance to really launch a brand and only one chance to make a first impression with a product or a brand. And that's not to say that you can't improve over time. Of course you can. But I think we also take a lot of pride in trying to put our best foot forward day one. And then, yes, and then learn really quickly and continue to make it better. And so it is better to be a Harry's customer today than it was eight years ago. We've made our product demonstrably better, like statistically significantly better. And we've updated every single piece of it. Um, And we've done that because we learned a lot from our customer and we got more sophisticated and we've invested hundreds of millions of dollars and we've done it. But we also were really proud of the thing that we started with. And I think that that's like, kind of the mentality that we've taken um, for, for better or worse in terms of brand building. Yeah, fascinating. So if we can delve a little deeper on brand building, um, I think that would really help people because if, if you look at, you know, the four brands that you have, they're really cool. Like, like they're really cool. The design's awesome. Like it's just a great feel. They're awesome products. Like do you have any advice for people that want to create these kind of you know, iconic, cool, direct-to-consumer brands because now anybody can launch, let's be honest, with Shopify and Stripe and, you know, Alibaba or whatever, like a lot, you can you can launch an e-commerce business in three to six months and you can get sales like with Instagram, like you, you can launch a business, but it's very competitive, right? Yep. Yeah. I think it starts with like, does the brand have a reason to exist? Like, does the world need another brand, you know, X, like in the, I don't want to pick on any categories, but like, does it need another one, you know? And like, if people are super happy with the products that they have, and there's not like a real difference in the, what the brand stands for or means or delivers, like it's probably not going to like, it's going to be really hard or expensive to make that brand cut through. And so, but, you know, and we find when we make products that maybe don't have as much of a reason to exist, you know, when we've, certainly had situations that, you know, haven't gone as entirely according to plan, like then it's almost like you're swimming upstream and you kind of just like, you feel that, you know? And then when you have a brand, you have a product that does have a reason to exist where tons and tons of people are like, yeah, like I want to get behind that. Like, that's what I want. Then like you're, then, then you're swimming down, then you're swimming with the current in an amazing way and pushing you forward. So I'd say that's number one. And then I think number two is like being maniacal about your customer, you know? And And I think like, really getting to know people. I mean, when we started Harry's, Andy and I did customer experience, you know, a lot, like multiple hours a week, talking to customers, getting to know them, spending time with them, you know, like really deeply engaging. And it was so fun. Like, um, we just feel like we learned so much from that experience. And so I think that's, that's the second thing. And if you're making every one of your customers happy or doing your best, like setting that tone, like you're probably going to be in a, in a good spot. I think the third thing is like, don't be afraid to kind of like take risk, be bold, imagine. I think we've been pushing, you know, a lot of the folks in the Harry's ecosystem over the last few years, like given that uh, every category is getting crowded to like be bold, take risk. If you, if you know your customer and you have a good sense for what they want, like don't be afraid to do something that's inspirational for them. Take a big risk. It's okay. It's exciting. And so I think that those are probably like the things I would, I would encourage. Mm, love it. Yeah, this is this is great stuff. So um, anything you'd like to add on, Andy? Um, yeah, maybe one additional piece of like tactical advice, which is that, you know, you can't, you can't really outsource this stuff. And, and, and I know a lot of people who are maybe want to 
start a brand or, or build something. They, they themselves may not be an industrial designer or, or a mechanical engineer or a graphic designer. And so like, you know, you have to surround yourselves with great partners to make it come to life. But if you just go to a design firm and you're like, oh, cool, like make me something cool, like that's not a great brief. Um, and you're going to get stuff that feels me too. And because they're, you know, even if you're just giving them references, be like, all right, well, and so, you know, you really do have to sort of engage in, in the details. And, you know, it's interesting because like, you know, you're not, you may not be an expert and, and certainly like, I'm not an expert, but I'm a consumer. Like it's not, it's not actually that hard to sort of have a, a nuanced perspective on, you know, what you like and don't like. And, you know, the, the, the emotion that you want a certain type of packaging to evoke. And, and so, um, you know, I think, you know, yes, you got to find great partners to sort of work with on a bunch of that stuff, but usually the work is only as good as the brief and sort of the coaching along the way. And, and so you do have to have a pretty, you know, I think it's a sort of different side of the same coin to the point that Jeff was making is that you, you really need a point of view that, Hey, this, this brand or this product like has like a real reason to exist. And this is what this reason is. And this is how it's going to be different and unique and, and engage at a pretty significant level of depth on that stuff. Yeah, no, that, that makes a hundred percent sense. So I'm curious as well, like, as I said, I first heard about you guys on the Tim Ferriss blog with using the viral loop. Um, do you guys, have you done that? Do, do, is that, is that a go-to mark part of your go-to market now for the other brands, like the referral, referral stuff? Or that's, you think that's done now? We, we did that at the time because we thought the viral loop at the time, because we thought it was innovative um, and not that many people had done it. And then we shared what we'd done. And I think a lot of other people started doing it, which was awesome. And so then we started to think about, well, what, how could we be innovative again um, when, we, when we launched brands? And, you know, the one thing that we did do at Harry's that we have continued to, to, to do over time um, is to tell everyone that we personally know um, about it. Um, and encourage, you know, with, we, we did that with, with sort of the Tim Ferriss thing where we encourage them to invite friends or whatever. But I, th- I think even beyond that, like, we just think that, like, the people that we're closest with should be our biggest supporters to start. Um, and so we've always, you know, with our, the Harry's family kind of given them the products and told them the story and wanted to make sure that they felt like they were the first to know because they are. Um, and that family now extends not just to our own personal friends and family, but to our customers and, and, you know, letting our cust- our customers know about our other brands and um, social followers. And so we think that like the, the benefit of having a community that's engaged is that then you can kind of let them know about new stuff that happens and, and people like new stuff um, and, and tend to want to gravitate towards it. And so we may give, you know, our parents or, you know, siblings, the product itself, and we may tell other customers or people in the community about it, but we just think it's important to that. Like the people in the community feel special, like they've gotten some unique access um, because they are special. They are part of our community and it's important that they know that. Look, I think now that you have um, this incredible, like you have over 20 million customers, like now you have that customer base, like you, you would be silly not to yeah, use that. But then also I love that take on like, yeah, just the family and the friends and just producing products that you're really proud of. I like to switch gears. Uh, what hasn't worked? Because uh, it, lo- it appears to me that you guys have an incredible culture of speed, learning, testing, and that is how you guys have been able to achieve just astronomical success in this period of time. Um, 
What hasn't worked? What are, what are traps you think people should look out for when wanting to launch a, a direct-to-consumer brand or product? I mean, I'm sure plenty hasn't worked. I, I think that thematically, Jeff alluded to this, but when we do, and, and look, everybody, it's always tempting to, you know, chase something that, you know, feels like it's going to be in, like, oh, we'll just launch this, like, you know, adjacent thing, and it'll be worth five or 10 million of revenue, and it's an easy thing to do. But I think whenever, uh, you know, we do something like that, and, and kind of um, fall to temptation um, of kind of shortcutting on that dimension, it does, feel, you, you do feel it, you feel like you're swimming upstream. So I think it's when we've gotten away from that um, focus, which I think we've done, you know, thankfully not often, but um, I'm trying to think of like specific examples in, within the Harry's uh, brand where we may have I've launched. Got, yeah, I've one. got one. I remember a bunch of years ago, we liked the idea of a lip balm for Harry's. Oh yeah, that's a good because, one. Because yeah. you know, we thought it would be cool if, you know, you can, you can never see our products. And so we like, well, maybe you could create a product that someone could like have and then like, They'd like pull it out at some point and then you could like see it. Oh, like what's that Harry's thing? But like, that was the reason we did it. And we made, I think a product that was cool. And it has like a pepperminty feeling, but there was no like real research, like reason for it to exist. Like we weren't like, Oh, what's wrong with everyone else's lip balms? And why could, why does the world need another lip balm? We just thought, well, it'd be cool if you could see the Harry's lip balm. And like, it did okay. You know, a bunch of our customers really liked it, but we ended up not like continuing to, drive it forward as a brand because like i think when we when we like layer it against our mission which is creating things people like more it's not entirely clear why we had created a lip balm in that instance that people would like more and that's not to say we shouldn't do a lip balm for harry's over time maybe we should i think the bar would just be like what about it what about this new lip balm is going to be so much better than the other lip balms that you'd need the, this one um and so yeah, that's probably an interesting and that, that happened in the very early days but it was a good learning for us yeah it's a good example Mm. Yeah, one thing um, I've found when I've like when we've spoken to founders when they uh, do have multiple products or they might have a brand and they're trying to, you know, serve customers in in more way than more ways than one, is um, the the take rate when they launch. Like if it just goes gangbusters, then you know you're on to something. So I found it really f- interesting what you were saying, Andy. Like. Just because you can do something that makes money doesn't mean you should always do it. And oftentimes it's a it's a tempting trap to go, oh yeah, we'll just bolt this on and we'll just spin it out. But then yeah, it doesn't it doesn't do as well as you thought, and it's, you probably haven't put in the work or earned the right, and like it just doesn't line up. So that's great. That's really great um, advice. So. I'm curious. Just uh, we work towards wrapping up, but I have to ask you guys about scaling. Like, um, are you guys heavy? You guys must be heavy, heavy PPC, very, very strong there on on paid advertising. What for someone that wants to scale a brand, their first one, what should they be thinking about? Should they be going all ads, thinking about ads, or should they be thinking about influencers? Should they like, yeah, I'm curious to hear your guys' take and what is the consistent theme you've seen across the four? I mean, I can offer a take and I'm sure Jeff has a perspective like, you know, I I don't know that there's any one winning formula. Um, You know, I I do. We, I would say, believe in the power of creating organic advocacy early in the in the life of a brand. Um, And Jeff, you know, alluded a little bit to like, you know, there's a friends and family component to that. There's sort of a PR component to that. There's just, you know 
direct to consumer is is a really powerful tool to sort of activate a community. And when we launched Harry's, like we didn't, I don't, we didn't spend a dollar. I, I guess we probably spent some money on PR agencies, but we didn't spend a dollar on paid advertising. So I, I do think that's powerful. It's not the only way to launch a brand, but but I but I think there's there's power in really sort of building community advocacy early um, and having kind of your customers be your best salespeople. And then from there, like, you know, I do think that there's obviously lots of ways now to reach consumers directly and lots of channels. And, you know, you can be pretty sophisticated in the way that you target and and optimize efficiency. And that's all well and good. And, and, and you know, I think the the key is probably to do things that feel consistent with your brand and, and who you are. And, and there are brands that lend themselves well to sort of influencer marketing or marketing or celebrity endorsement or whatever. And then there's other brands where like, yeah, that might help you get eyeballs, but it's not really going to help you build brand equity. So, um, I think coming back to, you know, what, what are, you know, in the early days of Harry's, we also kind of had this idea of like in good company and it's like, what, what, you know, sort of other brands or channels or partnerships, or even the types of marketing messaging we're using is actually going to add to our brand ac- equity versus detract from it. And I think that's been a pretty good North star for us over time. Sounds obvious, but you can easily find yourself in a position where you're like, well, yeah, I'm not sure how it's going to be great for the brand, but man, I'm going to get 3 million eyeballs on that. So, you know, it'll drive awareness, but is it really the kind of awareness that you want? So those are just a couple of thoughts from my end. Yeah, I think that's right. The only other thing I'd add, Andy, is like when you start to build a community engagement, what you naturally figure out is like what works. And so, I don't know, you get press articles and there's like 10 press articles you get and one of them drives like a ton of traffic to your website. You're like, what Like, what about that thing did that? And then if you can figure out what that is, you're like, it's almost like bottling up lightning and then you can just, you know, sort of... Um, you can then amplify it. And that's, I think the role that marketing should do is to figure out the most, the the way that people organically are talking about this brand to each other and do it in a way that's fun and interesting, I guess. And then from there, amplify it. And so all the sort of direct response advertising happens in the world. You mentioned pay-per-click, like that stuff is all well and good and good to be sophisticated about for sure. But for me, I think what's interesting about that world is that you can get a ton of learning. And so for us, it's like, we might try a hundred things and be like, I don't know, like did Nathan like this and Nathan like that. Was this like funny for him or engaging or amusing? And like, if it is, and you find something that you really like that connects with the vision and the values of the brand, then the rest of the marketing dollars just go to amplify that in a way that, you know, hopefully reach a lot more people that are like you. That's, that's like the most fundamental thing. And then what channel that is, is it influencers? Is it social? Is it, you know, I don't know, like, yeah, TV, like email, like all of that just depends on the brand and, and who you are and how you would want to consume that. So I guess that's sort of how I think about it. Yeah, no, no, I, I get it now. Um, so you guys really pro product, really pro brand over time, really work out the messaging and then the the channels, you guys, yeah, it sounds like you don't have a, a, a playbook per se once you, once you go, like when you move to a brand, like, do this, do this, do this. It's it's just kind of really around the messaging, the brand, the product and community and listening. Really. And when you know it, when you hit it right, you see it. And that's the cool thing about DTC. All of a sudden, all these people start coming to your website. Yeah. And then, and then you have- and you're like, oh, wow, that works. Some people really like that thing. Like, oh, okay. 
Mm-hmm. Like, what about it? And then like, what about the people? And then, you know, and then, then you keep, then you kind of go from there. Yeah. And then you have, you have sort of a menu of options to help amplify that. So like, you know, we'll, you know, when, I think once you've got, you know, to, to sort of, um, use a cliche, but like, you know, product market fit, like, you know, then there's, there's lots of ways to then sort of like truly amplify and, and, and scale from there. Yeah. Love it. Awesome. No, I think that was a really cool unlock to really understand how you guys think about things. Thank you for sharing. All right. We'll work, work towards wrapping up, uh, two last questions, probably for you both, for each of you, anything that you want, wanted me to ask you that I haven't, or anything you'd like to share of like final words of wisdom, or just anything you'd like to share with our audience of early stage startup founders that are, you know, just about to launch something, working on something, or they've been working on it for a couple of years. And uh, then, uh, yeah, where's the best place uh, people can find out more about each of you and uh, your brands and your work? I I mean, the one thing that we didn't talk about, which I think is um, as important, if not more so, to sort of sustainable success is just the approach to actually building the team and, and talent. And, you know, it's, there's only, you know, so much that Jeff and I did or can do as, as, as individual humans and founders. And so I think, you know, clearly surrounding yourself with people who are, you know, values aligned and, and, um, you know, believe in the mission and, and trying to build an organization that, kind of can scale with, with the brands and, and with the company. And, um, that's Sarah's an obvious point, but it's, it's easier said than done. And if you actually think about sort of time allocation in the early days, like it, it's tempting to spend all of your time on the sort of business blocking and tackling and not enough time on, you know, uh, thinking about building a, a culture and values and, 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 you know, over the long run, that becomes probably more important than, than any given sort of like business initiative. So just something to keep in mind as well. Awesome. Well, look, um, where's the best place people can find about uh, each of you guys and uh, your brands, your work, anywhere you'd like to share? Yeah, I mean, I think probably to start the, you know, the the websites, um, harrys.com is a great place to start and you can learn a lot about us and we've had some sections on sort of, you know, the FAQs about other brands. So I'd probably start there. You can follow us on social media. Um, that's a good place to learn about our brands. Our brands do a lot together there. It's probably where I go. Yeah, it's Harry's Shop Flamingo, Cat Person, and your headquarters. Awesome. Uh, there are there are the sites. Jeff and I aren't personally too big on on social uh, yet, anyways. So prefer to you interact with our brands than than with us personally. Awesome. All good. Well, um, yeah, look, thank you so much, guys, uh, for yeah, just being so open, honest. I know I asked you some questions that perhaps I was angling for an answer, but you you gave an answer that was um, maybe not expected and, and it was just open and honest and I think it will be really helpful to founders in the early days because oftentimes people are looking for the hacks, right? They're looking for the tactics. They're looking for the formula, the blueprint, and you guys are really real and I think it really help people. So thank you so much and congratulations on all your success. I look forward to seeing all the other brands that you launch and, and the crazy scale that you guys are going through. So thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks, Nathan. We really appreciate it. Appreciate you spending time with us. Yeah, yeah appreciate your time. Happy to chat. Nice to meet you. Yeah, great to meet you too. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business. 
which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in-depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.